Cool. All right. Let me know when you're ready. Let's go. Awesome. Uh, hey everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. This is a higher llama cast. Uh, today we have Mr. Joaquin to join us. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about his startup and how his um, adventure is and how COVID has affected it. So thank you for having us. Um, thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're working on? Sure. It's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for hosting. Um, like I like you said, my name is Joaquin. Um, the CEO and one of the three co-founders of a company called Minerva. Um, at Minerva, we help people document process. So it's a, a process knowledge documentation uh, platform. It's hard to explain, but essentially what we do is we allow anyone to create dynamic walkthroughs for any website online. And so if you want to share with uh, a colleague at work or your, your abuela how to do something online, um, and you, you can't be there sitting next to them, you can simply do the thing on the sites or site that you're, you're trying to help them with, uh, send them a link, and Minerva will walk them step-by-step step through what you've just done. Uh, and so that's, that's us. Um, I am, as we caught up just a bit before, I'm a native New Yorker, um, born and bred in New York. Uh, went to undergrad at NYU, went to graduate school at Columbia um, for organizational psychology. Uh, which is the psychology of people at work and in groups. Um, I've been a consultant, an independent consultant, pretty much my entire career. Um, in 2012, I taught myself to code. So I'm a self-taught dev. Uh, I went from kind of just a hack, not even a hacker, but a hack. Uh, eventually, I graduated to being a hacker. Um, launched a business called Scaffold, which was a SaaS offering that I offered next to my consulting. Um, Scaffold was moderately successful, but it was just me. Uh, and that got really tiring after a while. And so I shut Scaffold down. I started doing actually software development consulting for a living for a little bit, which was something I never saw coming down the pipe. And, and when I was doing that, um, part of what I was doing, since I was, being, I was a consultant for hire, uh, I was leaving behind tons of documentation, process documentation. So how do you deploy this to AWS? And what I ended up doing was leaving behind um, handbooks, essentially, for folks that were screenshots with red arrows and text blobs saying, click here, enter information there. And it was awful. And when I asked around for other folks, how do you do this? This is terrible. They're like, no, 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 that's what you do. You create a screenshot and you put it into a Google Doc. But what are you talking about? So that's terrible. We're going to fix this. And that's where Minerva came from. And now we're all caught up to modern day. Uh, thank you for your recap. Uh, quick question. Did, um, are, does, are you following the Minerva mythology or uh, where did you come up with the name? Yeah, it had a few different names. Um, the first working title um, was a, a, an academic reference. Um, it was et al. Uh, when Google launched the .app domain, um, I ran out and I bought et al.app, uh, which is a four-letter domain. That seems pretty good. Um, nobody knows what et al is, let alone how to sp spell it. Um, so that went out quickly. Um, the, the, what, what I'm describing here, these walkthroughs that we create, um, we call them recipes. And so um, one of my co-founders and I, um, before he was officially one of my co-founders, I asked him um, to help me brainstorm some names for this thing that I was doing. Um, and one that he came up with was recipe exchange. Uh, and so we found the .exchange domain. It was recipe.exchange. Um, people absolutely hated that name. They thought we were building a cookbook. They're like, what the hell are you doing? Don't, don't call it that. Uh, and so he and I were going back and forth on what should we call this thing? Um, and actually Minerva is uh, the Roman goddess of wisdom. 
uh, and that's what we do. We like to share wisdom. And so uh, Minerva is, is what we came up with. Um, and Minerva knows uh, is the domain. So if, the, the idea is that if you don't know how to do something, you say, well, you ask somebody, how do I do this? How do I, how do I use S3 to, to roll up a static website? Um, I'm not sure, but I bet Minerva knows. Um, wow. And so there you go. Uh, Minerva knows. Wow, that's, that's, I like it. It's really cool. How, um, so you told me a little bit about yourself and how you've been a solo founder and a consultant for the past several years. <laughs> so how did you... Several being 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe it's that long. So, um, I'm not solo anymore, though, which is beautiful. No, it's, it's great to have a co-founder. So, you know, going from solopreneur and consultant to having a small team, how was that transition for you? It's amazing. It's actually probably the biggest reason why I wanted to build something um, and something software based. Never wanted to be um, my brand consulting. Like my consulting business was Joaquin Roca Consulting LLC. Uh, <laughs> and, and that essentially, I, I would bring in um, for projects, I'd bring in some junior um, colleagues uh, who I wanted to mentor and who I wanted to, to help build their career. But I never really wanted to build a consulting practice. It doesn't scale very well. Um, I did for a while have consulting partners. Um, this was in grad school. Um, and so there was a loose confederation of six of us essentially who came together and kind of pooled our, um, pulled our connections to try and build something. And, um, it really was a loose confederation. It wasn't much of a partnership, even though there's some, to this day, there's some of my best friends in the world, those people, uh, but it wasn't a, a business partnership. Uh, and for me, what I really wanted was a team. Um, after 20 years of mostly going after the stuff my, myself on my own, um, I wanted the team. And so that's, that's kind of what I went out to build. Uh, and it's amazing. Started with um, just me and one co-founder. We found a, a third co-founder. So there are three co-founders. Um, and now we've hired the founding team. Um, and those first few employees that you've got, they're not employees. They're, they're founding team members. They're not founders. Um, but they really are core to everything that we've built. And so the team is now um, up to eight. Um, wow. And so there's, there's both part-time and full-time folks mixed yeah. in. Um, but having a, a team and building culture from the, from the start, which is something that I've helped people do for the last 20 years, that's my, my core field, uh, leadership management, culture, organization design, being able to build that from scratch with this amazing, amazing and talented, um, kind and humble um, group of folks is just the best thing I can possibly imagine doing. That's awesome. So you found your co-founder and then you had uh, your third co-founder. So how did, how did you find them? How did, how did you know it was the right fit? Yeah, um, absolutely. I will tell you, your microphone just switched from your really beautiful microphone to your computer microphone. So you might want to switch yeah. that one. I'll, I'll continue on my terrible microphone, which is like these wired headset, but um, my first co-founder, um, I actually met through a, a very good friend. Um, so my first co-founder is a, a guy named Craig Wood. And Craig, I met through my good friend, Peter Crisdale, who is also working with us now um, as part of our founding team. He's, he's an advisor to the company, and now he's also um, working part-time helping us with account management and sales. But I met Craig um, because Peter asked us to be his groomsmen. And so for Peter's quote unquote bachelor party, uh, Craig and I met. And I say quote unquote, because it was um, us going to um, Cold Springs, New York and hiking up a hill. It was just the three of us going on a hike. 
Uh, and I have to imagine that was just the worst shape I've ever been in my life because I could barely make it up that hill. It was sad. Um, but I got to know Craig really well that day. Um, and on the train ride back, I can remember just asking Craig about his career, um, what he was passionate about. And Craig is one of the most passionate, excitable people you'll ever meet. Um, and he's had such a wide array of things that he's done in his career. Um, and he was always game. That's like one thing I'll say about Craig. He's, he's just game. He's not going to say I know the most, but uh, in fact, he'll probably say I know the least, but I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm ready. Um, and he's always ready and willing. And so I thought to myself in my head, I'd like to... I'd like to do something with Craig at some point. I think he'd be a great person to start a business with. Uh, and so when I was thinking about uh, and, and starting to work on Minerva, um, Craig, Craig was the guy that I wanted to turn to. Um, and Craig's a product guy and a marketing guy, um, and he's phenomenal at that. Uh, and so I built the first iteration of the technology. Um, I affectionately call this uh, V-garbage. Um, it was my garbage <laughs> code. Um, our third co-founder, uh, Rafael, um, who is a, a friend of Craig's from uh, about a decade back, um, and they stayed close. They stayed in touch after working together. Uh, he's our CTO, and he's a phenomenal developer. He doesn't like calling it V garbage like I do. Mm -hmm. He calls that V fundraise, right? That was our <laughs> that was the the version that got us uh, that pre-seed round closed. Um, oh wow! Congratulations. So, well, thank you. Uh, and so that was through, um, through Craig, I met Roth and he's amazing. It was actually, um, Craig told me about Roth, just kind of mm -hmm. like coyly. He didn't want to push anybody on me. Uh, and then I, I went to, to Roth's GitHub profile. Uh, and the first thing I saw was his VimRC. Uh, and I was like, Ooh, I like his VimRC. Let's get him, <laughs> <laughs> which is about the nerdiest way to, 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 to get an introduction to a potential co-founder is through, through their VimRC. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really interesting so you built the first product um you had your first co-founder and then did you raise your pre-seed round between your second and third co-founder or um, right after currently it was concurrently we we brought Roth on before we closed mm -hmm. um that round um but just um oh wow and so we were pretty deep in the process um simultaneously with with Roth and uh, our investors and we brought Roth on and then we closed. Um, then we closed around pretty quickly thereafter. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So did you guys close in, um, like, I guess pre-revenue post-revenue or idea stage? Oh yeah. Um, we're still pre-revenue. Um, we mm -hmm. do have some clients now. Um, as you see, there's nothing much public about us in the world yeah. <laughs> uh, just yet. Um, but we do have a few clients that are using the tool and giving us their feedback. Um, but that was definitely pre-revenue. Um, it was not quite pre-product, but it sort of was. Um, like I said, it was, I had a working prototype uh, that I had built. And like I said, I, I wouldn't call myself just a hack anymore, but definitely no more than a hacker. Um, and so it was, it, was, it was like a bunch of spaghetti code that kind of did the thing. Uh, and then when Roth came on as the CTO, um, and he did the smart thing, he said, look, I don't want to just rebuild from scratch. You have something that works. Uh, I think we should iterate on this. And I told him, look, Roth, honestly, um, the API I built in, in Django over a weekend, I'm positive you can rebuild that pretty quickly and easily um, from scratch and do it right. And the JavaScript on the front end, it works, but it was really me iterating along. It's like the blind leading the blind because it's a browser extension. Our first product was a browser extension 
and I'd never built a browser extension before. And browser extensions actually are not really well documented. And so I just kind of came up with my own framework. Um, I had to rebuild it once or twice because the, the protocols for browser extensions kind of in there changed um, for the better. They kind of enforced some rules that were just suggestions before, especially on uh, cross-site uh, requests, um, which completely blew everything up. So I told them, look, you know, let's do this right. Let's, we can't take six months to build a, a prototype, but we can take six weeks to get it right. Uh, and so um, Raphael's amazing. He will just kill himself to get something done. And so once I told him that, and once I said, look, there's no ego for me in what mm -hmm. I've built, if not a single line of code has my name uh, on the Git blame, I'm okay with that. Uh, and so he just went to work, man. He went to work and he absolutely killed it. Um, That's awesome. So you have your uh, spaghetti code version and now you have your CTO's version. That's exactly right. Are you, are you still um, like a developer C CEO or what type of CEO style are you right now? Mostly not. Um, I told Roth I would be his junior dev if he ever needs one. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I, I think I've put, in, I've put in a very, very small amount of code. In fact, I don't think my, my environment would work anymore. I haven't built it in, uh, in maybe no. six weeks. Uh, so oh, I'd wow. have to rebuild the entire environment with make files and everything. It just wouldn't. It's not worth, I, I'm not the right resource there. But what I will say is, um, I, early on, I introduced Raphael to a, a colleague of mine, uh, a guy named Morgan, who's amazing. Um, and we got Morgan on um, as a consultant very quickly, uh, and that helped. But Morgan was on as a part-time resource. Uh, mm -hmm. He's full-time now, which is great. Um, and he and Raf were, were just kind of hacking away at it. And I set some really ambitious goals. Um, and we kept missing deadlines. And it wasn't mm -hmm. because of a lack of talent because the two of them are two of the best devs I know, mm -hmm. bar none. It wasn't for a lack of effort because literally, I'm not kidding, Rafael, if you tell him he has to get this thing done, mm -hmm. he'll stay up three days in a row and, and hurt himself. Um, and oh. I noticed that those things were happening, um, yeah. that the team was just going as hard as they could. They were pushing a ton of code and we were still missing our deadlines. Um, and, and, and that starts to wear on some folks, uh, especially someone with a lot of pride. Um, and so I had to tell the team, look, you're not failing. It's me. I haven't given you the resources you need. Uh, and so actually through Tecaria, we, we found another, um, another team member, uh, oh, a man wow. named Siggy. Uh, and so now we have the, the three of them um, working pretty much all full time, uh, plus another part-time resource and things have been flying now, flying. So really for me, um, the, the important thing there, the important learning there was you know, I have to, as the CEO, make sure that everybody has the resources they need mm -hmm. to achieve the goals that I set out. I can set goals. I have to, right, as the CEO. I have to set the direction. I have to say, this is when it has to go. Um, but if I do that, I have to make sure that everybody has the resources that they need to make that happen. Um, so that was on me. Like, that, those original stumbles, that's, those are my failures, I think. Uh, but things are a lot better now. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, I hear a lot of startups going through the same growing pains, especially from a developer CEO to, are, are you like more just like general CEO, product CEO? What would you um, fundraising and sales now. So Craig is uh, in charge of product. I definitely mm -hmm. have a lot of uh, input into the product direction. I think I've been thinking about this for longer and deeper than anyone on the team yet. Uh, although that's starting to change now. Um, so the team really, we started working full time on this, the three co-founders in December. Uh, so oh just five months ago now. Um, mm -hmm. 
and then we started hiring people pretty quickly thereafter. Um, so I'm still involved in product direction, um, in the features and, and everything, but, but Craig really is uh, head of product. He's the chief product officer. Um, and so he, and he does a phenomenal job of that. Uh, and he does project management, especially at this stage, if you're gonna be the product manager, you're also gonna be the project manager. And so for me, um, I'm much more in uh, the fundraising, finance, sales, and account management, um, and a bit of the internal operations. So, so managing the team, um, mm -hmm. developing the culture, managing um, contracts oftentimes, although I try and pass that off to Craig as much as I can because I'm not <laughs> nearly so fast or as good as he is at reading contracts, but I have to do that as well. Um, so it really is a team effort, I'd say. But no, I, I, rarely, I rarely ever write any code anymore. Um, although I do have, I get some skunk work projects on the weekend um, mm -hmm. that I just get to hack around with, but I can't show it to Raphael because then he'll just fix it. And I don't want him to waste time fixing my terrible code, especially for something <laughs> that's not important to the organization. So, you know, you have this great team, you guys are working great. Um, Pre-COVID, how was, did you guys like meet up every day to, to code together or were you guys fully remote? How, how did it work? So we had... Um, starting in December, we moved into one of our investors' offices, um, which was amazing. Big shout out to Charge Ventures here in New York. Um, we moved into their offices, and so for probably the first six to eight weeks, I think we were just all hanging out in their office every day, working together. Uh, and then we got um, our own space um, at a, a co-working spot called Company. Uh, it's Grand Central Tech. It's right across the street from Grand Central. It's a beautiful building, a really great community. And so we had just started there in the beginning of February. Um, and so we moved in and that was really wonderful. We were starting to integrate into the community. And then first week of March, um, we all made the decision to go fully remote. Uh, so we were only there for like five <laughs> weeks, um, but we had been together at charge, but then we went to um, company, but we're such a small team and we had set up, look, we're a process company, right? That's what we do. That's what our product is. We help people um, create, um, and document and share processes. And so we're really thoughtful, I think, about our internal processes as well. Um, and so we've set up a lot of these processes to, to be resilient. Um, we didn't know that it was gonna help us be resilient to moving to a remote work environment, um, but it was, right? So we have regular check-ins, one-on-ones, performance reviews. We've got goals that everybody has. We have software that we use to keep everyone accountable. Um, so all of these things, and just made it easy for us to to maintain those open lines of communication um, to keep having regular check-ins and to continue to um, make progress such that I think we're being um, a bit more productive now I mean we've added to the team as well um, but there's less distraction around um, and we've still kept a lot of the the socializing and and certainly culture is at the core of everything that we do and so building on our culture um, that we've already set the foundation for uh, has, has worked well remotely as well. And so honestly, we haven't missed a step going remote, um, which is surprising, but really good. I miss the hell out of them. Honestly, I, I do. That's, that's the one thing for me. I love seeing their faces in person. I love, you know, going up, giving a handshake, giving a hug, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. I love being there with them. Um, yeah. But it's been fine. It's really been fine. So um, you mentioned that you have like, you're using different types of software to do goal setting one-on-ones and also um, holding people accountable. 
So what, what type of softwares are you doing to hold people productive or accountable? Yeah, so um, it's a combination of a bunch of things, but really we've moved heavily into the Clubhouse ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. Clubhouse is a, a New York tech company. Um, mm -hmm. So we love supporting New York tech. We don't know them very <laughs> well. Um, um, we do know a few people there, I guess, but um, it's, a, it's a great um, product management system. It's uh, also very dev friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of hacked together around that um, our understanding of what we wanted for um, for our other processes. Uh, early on, Rafael asked, hey, we've got a lot of process. We do. Um, can we try and centralize this as much as possible? Clubhouse isn't built necessarily for these other operational processes that we have. But if we could find a way of hacking it together so that it works well enough, it'd be useful to have it in a centralized place so that we can plan our days, plan our weeks, plan our sprints, um, all of that, um, keeping it tr in track together. Um, so that, that's really helpful. Um, we use the Google ecos ecosystem a lot. Mm -hmm. So, um, right, all Google apps, calendar, mail, drive, um, yeah. all of that is, is something that we do. Um, every, for instance, every invite we have um, on our calendar will have um, a document with an agenda in it. Uh, and wow. so it's like required that if there's a meeting, you have to have an agenda. At very least, there's, a, there's like a, an executive summary. Um, what's the purpose of this meeting? What are the mm -hmm. decisions that need to be made? Who's going to be making those decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Who's empowered to make the decisions? Is it a group decision? And if it is, it better be really important. Otherwise, one person is authorized to make the decision, and we're very explicit about that. Mm -hmm. um, and so then we take that system and translate it into Clubhouse as well. Um, oh, wow. And so everything I'd is love really, to take a look at that document. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I will share the, uh, the agenda template with you. We have tons of templates, so performance review templates, uh, mm -hmm. meeting agenda templates, one-on-one -on -one templates, um, all of these different things were things that we set up probably in the first two weeks of the organization because we knew wow. that we are a process-heavy organization, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that's, our, that's our product. This is what we are yeah. known for, right? We have to be known to, be, uh, to understand what process. We have to be opinionated around process. Um, and that's, that was controversial, I'll say, um, <laughs> yeah. to do that. So, so heavy invested, heavily invested in those things up front. Um, I think that the team was game and they went with, with a lot of, as an organizational psychologist, this is the stuff that I have preached for 20 years. So I was pretty passionate about it. Um, and so we keep checking in though. We can't have process that's so heavy that it slows us down. Um, it has to be kind of minimum viable process. Um, but if we don't have processes like this, um, yeah. miscommunication is a lot more likely, uh, building the wrong thing or, or not understanding, not getting on the same page. And so you lose a lot more time and a lot more effort than it takes to be really smart about these things. If it takes one person, say, 10 minutes to create an agenda for a 45-minute meeting, mm -hmm. if you save, and there are five people in that meeting, if you save five minutes there, right, that's like 25 mm -hmm business minutes that you save for five minutes up front of creating an agenda. Um, oh. And so being respectful of, of your colleagues time, I think is really important to us. Okay. So you know, your startup is doing great. You went to the co-working space, then COVID happened. Now you mentioned that you recently started growing, you've added um, a couple of employees. So how was the process of hiring? How did, was there like a team hiring effort or did you guys it's been, it's only been about three months since 
since February. Yeah. So um, how did you hire so fast? Yeah. So one, we have a financial model. Um, and so we knew what we could spend on team and we knew the places where we wanted to invest um, in bringing in new team members. So that was the first step is getting on the same page and understanding what we could do. Um, second was just, especially in these early stages, really mining your own network. And so folks that you already know, folks you've worked with um, are really important. And so everyone on the team um, was, were, were people that we already knew, save for one. And that was just the, the, the man, Siggy, that we met through Tecadilla, um, how you and I met. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he put up a message in Tecadilla and I knew that we needed a, a developer. I looked at his profile and he looked amazing. We got on the phone a few times, um, myself, Rafael and Siggy, and he was just so thoughtful, um, mm -hmm. so open, so upfront. Um, he's a really good person. He's a really good dev. Uh, and that came across really clearly. Um, and so it was easy to, to, to make that, that leap uh, to say, hey, we'd love to work with you. Um, now, we're at a place where we've got the team that we need to get us from what we've called our pre-seed to our mm -hmm. seed fundraise. And so we don't have to worry about expanding until then. But when we do, uh, like I said, we're process heavy. Um, we're going to have to come up with a bit more process, um, I think, in order to, to continue to do that well. Um, thankfully, some of us have the uh, experience in the past of doing that. So I think we'll, we'll be able to handle it. So, I mean, it's great that you found Siggy. How, how was his interview? How many steps were in it? And how did you evaluate um, if he was going to be a good fit for you guys? So for us, everything comes back to values. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got six core values that are, are um, the most important things for us to do. And they're kind of going back to how we treat each other, how we treat stakeholders, how we treat clients, but they're also intimately related to the service that we provide. We think that if we violate any of these six core values, that it'll be an existential threat to the business itself. So these are six things that we cannot do for fear of ruining the business. And that's that level that, that we stick to. And so, in our conversations with Siggy, um, we were looking for those, for indicators of those values. Um, in the future, we'll do what's called a, a behavioral event interview, um, which is essentially asking people about, hey, um, tell me about a time in your past when you had conflict at work, um, an actual specific time. So they're not gonna tell you how they would handle conflict at work. They're now telling you a story about how they did. Uh, and from there, you ought to have a, a scoring paradigm um, for things that you're looking for. How many times did the person say I versus we, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Are they talking about team uh, responsibility? Are they talking about personal responsibility? Do they deflect responsibility onto other people? Things like that um, come out during a behavioral event interview. Those are the things that I would like to do and we have not set up yet. For Siggy mm -hmm. though, we had kind of a, a free-flowing conversation, maybe mm -hmm. two or three of them, um, where we helped him understand our vision for the mm -hmm. company. We helped him understand where we are in the company building process. We mm -hmm. asked him about where he was in his career, where he wanted to go, um, and then kind of post hoc, as opposed to a priori, um, mm -hmm. having these, these, this understanding of what we were looking for directly, we kind of mm -hmm. did it post hoc. So after the fact, we, we went through and we said, how did he demonstrate to us each of these six values? Do we think mm -hmm. that he'll live up to the, each of these six values? In terms of his competence as a, a software developer, um, based on our conversations, we felt pretty good about it. And since mm -hmm. uh, we, we basically told him, look, we'll, we'll take six weeks as a consulting arrangement, if you'd like, because yeah. um, he wanted to learn more about us, we want to learn more about him. And mm -hmm. if at the end of the six weeks, he wasn't a good enough developer, 
it'd be easy to say, hey, we paid you for those six weeks, no harm, no foul. Um, okay. But uh, at this point, um, we know that he's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was, that was less than six weeks ago, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, we were, we were a little bit more loosey-goosey than I would hope moving yeah. forward <laughs> in terms of our hiring process. But because, again, I had set these really aggressive goals, I think, and mm-hmm. Rafael just didn't have the resources he needed. It was important mm-hmm. for me to go out and get him the resources. So tapping my network, getting a couple mm-hmm. of people, and then also being opportunistic when we saw um, someone who was really phenomenally talented uh, come along. Okay. So I, I have two questions out of that. Um, my first one is, do you guys have like a, a yellow shorts type of question? Um, and I'll explain a little bit about that. And my second one is, Technically, how did you test him to make sure that he was a competent developer? Like, did you guys have any tests, results? So um, I'll explain. The Yellow Shorts um, comes out of like the Southwest playbook where they would interview um, air, you know, pilots that come out of the Air Force or the Navy, and they're usually a lot stiffer than you know, casual people. Um, and during the interview, they would ask um, the pilots who wanted to wear yellow shorts because it was hot in the environment. And usually the pilots that would take the yellow shorts would go to the second round and you know at southwest everyone likes to be happy likes to be cool and friendly so that was their yellow shorts question what's your yellow shorts question um we don't have one yet i guess um i think really what we what we do mm-hmm. is we are brutally open <laughs> we're we're really like i'll show people documents they would never expect to see um, at this stage, right? Um, and let them know, hey, here's here's our budget for the next 12 months. Here's where we're at, right? We can pay you until this date, right? If you're comfortable with seeing this and being open and having that in the negotiation, which can be a really unnerving thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we'll always do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, there will be some, some point at which I'll have to be really careful about uh, the mm-hmm. things that we disclose. Um, but with this team, especially the, the early founding team, um, especially where, where folks were coming on as technically consultants and then um, transitioning to employees after they were consultants, um, I find that having them live in the culture and having them experience the culture, I think what you're saying is Southwest essentially had you live and experience their culture throughout yeah. the interview. Um, and so that's, that, that is something we do. It's not through... Uh, a question per se, um, but it's the way in which we're open with with the folks that we're talking to, the way in which they respond to us. And so, Siggy, for instance, um, I was incredibly impressed with how thought with how thoughtful he was and how open he was um, about the other projects that were going on for him. Um, he he got excited about what we were doing, and it was clear that he would be excited to work with us. But he wasn't going to jump in before he had a a chance to talk with the other folks that he was working with projects on because they didn't want to let them down. And so the openness that he had there uh, to let us know that, yeah, I am excited to work with you guys. What you're doing is really cool. Uh, and and the, the people that I've met um, seem like really amazing people. And um, even though I'm excited about that, I have to make sure that I don't let anyone down. And so here's what's going to happen next for me. And so he reciprocated that openness the vulnerability that we shared with him uh, and so that really meshed with what we were looking for somebody who would be open and honest and communicative 
And so it wasn't quite a yellow shorts question, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely um, displaying the behaviors that represented our values immediately. And that made us really comfortable moving quickly with him. Okay. Um, no, it's awesome. It's really, really cool environment. I think that's, that's a great way to hire people. Um, yeah, and empathy uh, absolutely. is huge for developers. Absolutely. Um, and as for the second bit, we don't have a coding test yet. Mm-hmm. Um, again, <laughs> all the devs that we've worked with, save for the one, are, are devs we've worked with in the past. And so okay. we knew their level of skill. Um, I, I think there is a place for that. Um, but it has to be, I think it has to show empathy as well uh, in, that, in that, in any coding test. It can't just be I don't know about sending someone to a, a website saying solve this problem in the next two hours. I'm not sure that that's showing the culture that we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, right. If you're, if you're hiring a junior dev versus a mid-level versus senior, um, yeah. that's going to be a very different experience as well. And, and in fact, what if you're hiring, I don't know that our, our tech stack, we've got a, a go API. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Go developers tend to be really serious devs, (laughs) Um, really serious devs. Uh, And so I think that it's going to be hard for us to hire really junior folks for a while until Mm -hmm. we ramp up and until the language matures and people are more um, fluent in it. Um, But on the front end, there's a lot of JavaScript. And so if we were at some point to hire a junior dev or even a dev out of like a a dev boot camp, um, Mm -hmm. that has to be a different interview than someone who went through a CS program um, and has five or 10 years of dev experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'll have to ask Roth cause he's going to be yeah. the one in charge of that. <laughs> not me. So um, you're, you're, I know you had a team um, in New York now moving forward. Um, are you going to be hiring developers in like different States of the United States overseas? Um, what's your criteria for future hiring? Interesting. So um, our first developer hire was actually someone I'd worked with in the past who's in Germany. Um, And so we did hire someone remotely kind of immediately. And that was because I absolutely adore him. I think he's an amazing (laughs) person. I think he's an amazing dev. Um, And so that was an easy win. We talked very openly early on in the company that we wanted people mostly in the office to work together, that there's something about building a culture where you can, reach out and touch someone, literally. Um, <laughs> COVID may have changed that um, because now we're working completely remotely uh, and it's, it's fine, it's working well. Um, and I don't, I, I'm of two minds here. I really do like the idea of having a, a space that is ours and, and coming together. Um, mm-hmm. But are there other ways that we can do that um, while remote? Uh, how do we make sure that that culture, that camaraderie, um, is maintained while being remote. So I think, I'm not sure, I guess. I, I'm just not sure what, what that will look like um, moving forward. We definitely had a preference. It wasn't going to be a rule, but there was going to be a preference for people in the city. We always wanted to have a day or two that were office optional. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we made it a point as founders to say, we're going to make sure that we stay home one or two days a week and work from home to make sure that everybody else knows that it's okay and it's expected of them to, yeah. to take advantage of that. Um, but there was also going to be like a day or two. We have Culture Friday. Um, 
So the, the, the last thing we do on every Friday, and now we've moved it to the middle of the day because we have a colleague in Berlin, so the time difference, we've moved it up. But we have an hour devoted to just talking about culture, our, our organization culture, every Friday. And we like doing that in person. Um, it's been great uh, remotely, too, so I don't know. Um, but there, there are certain days that we thought, no, we want to be together in person. Certain days we thought, um, meeting-free Tuesday. There are no meetings at Minerva on Tuesday, and so you're supposed to stay home. Um, these are like maker hours. You're supposed to just heads down, get your work done, because we have so many meetings on Monday. And then we expanded that to Wednesday afternoon, so I'm violating meeting-free Wednesday afternoon to sit and meet with you. Uh, and then Thursday morning. So we actually have about two days a week that are yeah. explicitly no meetings. Because we're so meeting-heavy, we're so mm -hmm. process-heavy, we had to create these, these hours for makers to sit down yeah. and just do their work. Um, and those are like, <laughs> we're always explicitly stay yeah. at home. Um, but now everything's stay at home. I don't know what, what it's going to look like when we're back to quote unquote normal. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, New York is opening in, they're expecting it to open in late May. So <clears throat> yeah, I'll, we'll I'll believe when I see it. We'll see what happens. Florida has been open forever. So you're welcome to come visit <laughs> How's that us. working out? <laughs> Well, according to the state, there's no cases here. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, you brought up a really good point. So, you know, the developer that you adore, that you've worked with before, he's in Germany. Um, so that's what, six hours ahead of us? That is. So how does that mess with your culture um, and communication? It's not bad, actually. Um, he gets a lot of heads down time where none of the rest of us are awake. And so as a, as a developer, it's actually nice, I think, for him to be able to do that. Um, he's also such a team-oriented person that he ends up staying up a bit later. I think his day starts, he doesn't start his day at 9 a.m. local time. Um, it starts a little bit later and he stays up a little bit later. And if we happen to be doing Culture Friday a little bit after he would normally be off work, um, he'll stick around. Um, and so he's just so invested in what we're doing. Uh, that he, he, you know, he wants to be part of the team and he's such an important part of the team um, mm -hmm. that he's willing to put in those extra hours where they, they come. Um, and we're also really, I think, flexible um, about work arrangements. So Roth is a night owl. Um, we, don't, we don't set any meetings before 10 a.m. because I know that Roth is going to want to wake up before 10 a.m. <laughs> he's going to be awake, but he's not going to be in a meeting spot in his head. And so yeah. we, we, we make sure that we have... Um, the flexibility. We have certain standing meetings that we expect people to be at. Um, but mm -hmm. outside of that, we're looking to be flexible and, and to make sure that we treat people like adults. We say, look, here are the deadlines, here are the goals. Um, we need to get our work done by then. That's one. Um, but it's not just work. You also need to be a part of the community. You have to be adding to your team. You have to be part of the culture. Uh, so we don't just expect results. We don't just expect uh, pixels on page or, or lines of code in a, in a repo. We expect mm -hmm. you to be a member of the team. And that's just as important to us. Um, in creating this business. And so, <clears throat> so long as, as the work is getting done, so long as you're mm -hmm. contributing to, to the team, um, mm -hmm. the hours that you work are less important. And it just turns out that people work um, more hours than, than they ought oftentimes. In fact, for, for Raf, I've had to chase him out of the office or I had to oh, wow. check in with him and, and say, hey, have you slept this week? Are you yeah. sleeping? Please make sure you take... Um, we, we actually incentivized him after one of these early death marches that we went on. We said, hey, Raf, uh, Craig and I, the two of your mm -hmm. co-founders have decided we want to give you uh, $100 as a bonus to take your wife out to dinner because we want you to take some time explicitly out of the house away from your keyboard. And so mm -hmm. incentivizing him not to work 
uh, is important. I think that that's the same for, for the teammates at this point. Mm-hmm. Founders and, and, and the founding team are, are, are different from employees. Like a lot of these folks are technically employees, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they're just different from early employees and, and later stage employees too, because it's just the, the dedication to the mission to what we're trying to build together is so amazingly high uh, that at this point in the, the company, in our history, it's, it's more about maintaining a good pace um, mm-hmm. that people can, can actually sustain over the long haul. Um, mm-hmm. So making sure that people do take breaks as opposed to being worried at later stages where people are less productive and you're not getting enough out of each person. Uh, that's just not where we're at. We're at a place where the, the dedication is so high, the productivity is so high. I'm worried about burnout more than I'm worried oh. about under productivity. Wow. That's a, that's a good problem to have. It, like I said, it's, it's, it's yeah. a problem that you'll only have for a very short period of time in your, in your company's life cycle. I don't <laughs> yeah. think it happens once you have 15, 20 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably still, hopefully you still have a high level of dedication there. Um, mm-hmm. But they're not owners in the same way. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're, those aren't the people who are going to get the tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of us are, um, but you know what I mean? Um, maybe some of them will be, some of them hopefully yeah. will be, but it's just not, it's just simply not the same. I've, I've consulted to startups before who have had mm-hmm. founding teams, right? Founders, founding teams, mm-hmm. early employees, mid-stage employees and late employees. And each successive expansion, um, there is a dilution of that esprit de corps. Um, yeah. It'll happen. It's not there yet though. It's the way of life. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's look at the, the horizon. America's opening back up. Today's uh, April 29th. New York doesn't really know when they're going to open back up, but you're looking at states like Georgia, Florida, Ohio that are thinking of opening up really soon. Um, that being said, you know, you're also a startup that just raised the pre-series. Um, you know, as your life as a CEO, are you still fundraising or what are your, your, um, um, what are your goals for the next 12 months? Cause you, you fundraised, that was about six months ago. So now you have 12 months of run rate, I'm guessing. About. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so. am I still fundraising? Uh, as a CEO, I'm always fundraising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. There's, there's a dance there as a CEO and if any uh, investor ever sees this, then uh, I'm just going to be saying what is unsaid and everybody knows it anyway. Um, yeah. As the CEO, I'm always supposed to be communicating with all the investors, keeping people excited um, with the hopes that someone will reach out to me and say, Hey, are you fundraising? No, of course we're not. Um, mm-hmm. But we're interested. If we put this on the table for you, would you take it? That's the mm-hmm. best place to be for a CEO, right? If we are letting investors know how well we're doing um, mm-hmm. and they want to preempt our next round uh, as opposed to us going out, having them to come to us. So mm-hmm. am I fundraising? No. Um, but I'm also always fundraising and that'll be the case. <laughs> um, and so we do have some runway, which is very important, especially in these times. Um, and so I feel very lucky about that. We also have really aggressive goals. Um, and so you've, you, if you go to MinervaKnows.com right now, you're mm-hmm. not going to see anything. Um, nope. But if you come in a month or two, uh, you're likely to. In fact, you may hear about it proactively. Um, we will see, we'll see. Um, but for us, we do have some aggressive goals, um, sales goals, product goals, um, mostly right. Right now we've got the team in in place. 
-hmm. And so now it's just about product and sales. Uh, And that's what I'm focused on more than anything else. I still take investor meetings. Mm -hmm. If if an investor calls me up, not, not one of our current ones, I set regular meetings with our current investors and they're all honestly, they're, we're we're so lucky to have the folks behind us that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. But inbound interest from investors, if it's an investor I'm interested in, I'll take the call for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not, I'm not aggressively going out, obviously, just yet. Um, and when that will happen, I'm not sure. Uh, this is a strange fundraising time. Um, really strange, really strange. Um, I think we're really lucky, though, um, because what we do, what we've built, um, completely separate from this, right? We just built this right before this pandemic happened. Um, what we do is really useful um, for remote working. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is just part of that toolkit that people are going to need. And, um, so I think in this sense, we're counter cyclical to the current pandemic that there is more demand now for our product, um, Mm -hmm. because people are working remotely than before. Um, and in fact that even if we do open up again, um, the expectation is that there will be a flare up again sometime in, in the fall and winter. Uh, and so at this point it'll be irresponsible for companies not to set themselves up to be able to go remote immediately, just at the drop of a hat, being able to have your team go fully remote. Um, And Minerva, um, when it comes out, you'll all see, uh, it's going to be one of the core tool sets for that, uh, for sure. Awesome, Manuel. Thank you. Um, Those are all my questions. I know you have a meeting to catch. But we really appreciate it. We appreciate your feedback on hiring and the startup space. And uh, we hope you're well and, you know, stay safe. Likewise. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to 